Coincidence, consequence, and condemnation. All of these concepts are presented simply to put words to different aspects of our experience to begin to bring thought into a consideration of things more accurately than we might otherwise think. And I do not pretend or claim to say things correctly enough to have that happen. I have great failings in that department and continue to do what I can to get better in speaking in ways that are accurate enough to be appreciable enough to be recognized as something not that I am telling you, but something that you absolutely already know. If you are listening to this, you must exist. And if you exist and the platform of existence is based on an absolute knowing presence, then your presence knows much better than you can ever think you know if you isolate your concepts of knowledge to simply what you think. And that's fundamental basis of this discussion. So coincidence, consequence, and condemnation are very interesting because the addictive nature of thought, which is the primary basis of all addictions and compulsions and irritable reactive behaviors, impulsive behaviors. It's the source of it. It's the attempt to get away from it that I'm running into other things that compel my attention and directions that I am intoxicated with, literally intoxicated and thought with. And not only do I use outside chemicals and other things to stimulate those thoughts and to preoccupy my attention with those thoughts, but I actually create bodily chemicals that give me an exciting sensation that I am on an exploration and adventure, but in fact, what I am doing is digging a tunnel that will never end and gets deeper and deeper and deeper and further and further and further from any point of oxygen or value. And so the thoughts that come that can often feel condemned are simply an acknowledgement, an accurate acknowledgement that I know that I'm going in a direction that I have no hope of achieving the promise that I think I'm going to get when I finally arrive at the place I never seem to find. So that would pretty well describe addiction. So coincidence is the occurrence of an unlikely event by common definition. But I would suggest that many of our common definitions basically undermine the value of the words and the clarity and the simplicity of the words simply to promote the idea that a coincidence is a rare occurrence and that it's something that very seldom happens, like a miracle. The miracle isn't that miracles happen. The miracle is that we think it on, they only happen occasionally. When in fact, if the nature of our existence is abundant and absolute and infinite, what we would simply think is a miracle is only a miracle to thinking about things in such limited, depraved capacities that things that extend beyond the horizon of our thinking all of a sudden seem like miracles. They're not. They're just the nature of existence. And we're just so debilitated in our expression of those things that we make believe that somehow they're rare and they only occur to other people in some other place. And we need to keep looking for it rather than begin to recognize we're actually a witness to that presence wherever we are all the time right now, I will suggest and offer you. It isn't somewhere else. It's where you are. So coincidences 
by definition is the occurrence of an unlikely event. But if you take the word apart, it's coincidence. And what does that mean? Well, co as a prefix means mutual, common, joint, together, incidences. So they're really common incidences. They're not rare exceptions. They're really referencing the interactive, absolute nature of everything right now that is relative within this concept of time and space that we live in this universe. That's relative. It's all relating right now. Everything that's happening is happening right now. Everything, not some things, not only what you think, not only what is thought of, not only what is known, whatever is known to science and academic. All of it, all of it, no matter what we think, right now is interacting. That is what the presence is. The presence is everything operating as it is, regardless of whether we think it's there. And to think that only what's there is what we think is within the horizon of our view is to think very much the way people did when they thought the earth was flat and the horizon was the edge of doom. And why did they consider the horizon the edge of doom? Because they recognized internally, intuitively, their thought was doomed because it wasn't true and dismissed that there could be any value beyond that horizon until they started traveling in that direction, which is what this discussion is about traveling in the direction of beginning to see that our horizon is actually, the horizon of our thinking is the beginning of everything else, not the end of anything. That if we live in a bubble, popping the bubble would expand our view to everything else that we previously thought wasn't there. And the beautiful irony of that is that everything that was there was always there regardless of what we thought. The tropical islands, all of the things that had not been discovered, Tea in China, all of the things that seemed to be some rare new experience had been going on for thousands of years, if not millions of years in terms of the islands and the, the land and the, the uh, billions of years. So our limited thinking, thinking about itself, is always going to imagine things according to its own thinking as being true and real, which they're not. They're just simply limited by the thoughts we're maintaining and entertaining. So a coincidence is really an admission that everything, what is unlikely to thought, is likely in an intimately interactive universe. It's not only likely, it's absolutely happening right now. All that is happening includes all that is and all that are. So that includes you. Coincidences are only surprising to thought that is not thinking about what is happening accurately. So by taking the words apart, a lot of times we can see that, in fact, we're operating in this haze of definition and connotation that really isn't reflecting an absolute nature, but a self-centered nature of a self-centered in thought, which is ego, thinking only about itself and thinking because it's thinking only about itself. That means it's true and real because nothing else is being considered. And while the while, all the while, everything else is happening exactly as it's happening, while our consideration of it is irrelevant unless we start considering it is what it is as it is. Then it becomes extremely relevant to think it's only what we're considering in limited thought is to think limited thought is all that's worth considering and be defensive and reacted to everything on the outside of that, beyond it. And that's essentially what addiction is, trying to overcome the pain and the condemnation we feel. As a consequence, by the way, an automatic consequence, not some strange mythical view of superstition that's descended earth to finally condemn our sorry asses. But it's the sorrow 
for dragging our asses around with those ideas that we're actually suffering from. It isn't some strange view or, or brew any more than it's odd that when we show up in a mirror and don't look as good as we think we do, that the mirror basically gives us an accurate response and an accurate Im- image of how we actually look relative to how it is, how we are looking rather than what we thought we looked like or how well we thought, which is probably why there's a lot of mirrors hanging in closets to get a gauge of, I thought I would look good in this and I don't, I'm changing the outfit. So this reckoning of consequence and condemnation is actually an accurate reckoning of what's going on. And the difference is, in addictive thought, we think consequences are things that we can overcome and stop having happen while we keep doing the same thing that causes them. So that's an insane thought. That's an idea that is untrue because it's inaccurate. And humans really don't struggle with truth because if truth is true, it's all we've got. It's the basis of our existence. What we struggle with is the accuracy of thought that we apply And if what we apply is inaccurate thought and keep trying to get it to work, we're going to have things that work poorly or malfunction. And I would suggest that's not just a sense of condemnation and feeling, but it also becomes our problems and our interactive relationships and our fiscal issues and so many of the things that we make believe are somehow or another condemning us. There is no condemnation in the universe beyond our thoughts. There are no lies in the universe beyond the thoughts we have. And to think of that source out there being contemptful and able to condemn is to think of that source as bred in thinking rather than something that is not dependent on thinking at all. It allows for thinking. It allows all possibility for our existence. It does not become allowed because we think of it correctly. What becomes allowed is that we begin to function thoughtfully and fully in relation to the potential we have to express that infinite, absolute, loving nature, rather than think in putrid, paltry terms that end up expressing dysfunctional hatred and condemnation and contempt and seeing it in everybody else and seeing how clear we can figure out what's wrong in everybody else while we're overlooking the doubt we have about the self we continue to promote and make believe is who we are. So in all three of these words, if they're looked at differently, consequences are immediate reflections of what we're doing and feelings are a consequence of thought. And addiction treats feelings, treats the effect doesn't treat the cause. So it's treating the symptom. The idea that I want to feel better by drinking more, doing drugs, gambling, winning, all of the thoughts I have about what I'm going to get from that thing I'm going to do compulsively are always broken promises. Or there wouldn't be 150 different 12-step programs dealing with all the different symptoms. Our discussion is dealing with the core issue of all of those symptoms. If I have something in my body that I cannot do anything about and it's impossible to cure. The question is, do my choices now that undermine my body's ability to function help that condition or hurt that condition? And if what I'm doing with what I do is hurting my condition and I'm blaming it on some predisposition and making it worse, the part of that that I could be helping in 
for recovery in is being lost to ideas that are condemning me to the idea that all I can do is continue to reinforce the idea that there's no other thing I can do better. And if I can choose to do something wrong, I can choose to do something right equally. And I would suggest choosing to do it wrong is the much harder path because it will never be right. And choosing to do it right is the immediate path of recognizing that I've always had that right and always had that choice. And that the choice has always been available to me, no matter how deluded I've been in thinking that somehow addiction is my only choice. And if you think of that, which I talked about in choice, if you think of the idea that we have no other choice, it wouldn't be a choice if we had no other choice. It would be a need. It would be a necessity. It wouldn't even be a consideration. We wouldn't think about it. We'd simply do it. And the fact that we suffer in thinking about it suggests it's born of thought. It is not born of no choice. And the idea of no choice overlooks the point of choice having always the choice not to be chosen. Because freedom not only allows us all choice, one of those choices is not to choose. Always, always, always. It can seem as though there's no other choice, and it might not make sense to make any other choice when you feel the best choice you're making is the best choice to make, but that does not mean it is the only choice. So consequences are mirrors of our thoughts. Feelings are the mirror. Feelings and thoughts are two sides of the same coin. They're immediate. They happen together. And my suspicion is, and I've been challenged on this, and some people have said that feelings come first, and my contention is if that were the case and we treated feelings, that would cure the cause and the symptom. But treating the feelings is, in fact, what drinking does. We feel better what, what drugs do, what all of the compulsive ideas are. We feel better in the moment, but it's, a con it's, it's an indication that we know something's worse. To feel better all the time, nobody seems to be complaining about wanting to feel less good. Nobody seems to complain about feeling too good all the time and wanting to feel worse. Most people complain about wanting to feel better. So it's a pretty good indication that we know there's something worse going on that we keep thinking feeling is going to change when we refuse to do the thing that causes the feeling, which is look at the thinking we're doing. And again, that's what this discussion is about. These principles, these ideas, these concepts are put out there just to give you something to dangle in your thought in a little bit. And the conversations are a chance to be in the center of that conversation and see that the different voices speaking in different ways are all addressing the same issue, either by failing or accomplishing things and thought and words. And together, what's interesting, my experience, very clearly, as people get together, it starts becoming a little more obvious that what we share in common, we also do wrong in common. And the ideas that we've attached to the ideas we have about the specificity of all of our own independent problems as identifying who we really are so that we bemoan ourselves to one another and talk about what's wrong so clearly are done in the same way between us. And they're the same form of failing. There's the same form of storytelling. We just each have different faces, places, times, and, and ideas about them. And that doesn't mean that the underlying nature of them is any different. It means that the underlying nature is exactly the same defective thinking. So if the platform we're all born on and our DNA, the variability between humans' DNA is slight within a fraction of a percent to cause any distinction between any of us, there's almost nothing there that indicates any difference between us. 
As a matter of fact, the difference between a chimpanzee and us is within a percent of the change of DNA, as I understand it. It may be slightly more or slightly less than that, but there's very, very little difference. So the platform is the same. But in the infinite context and concept, there is no difference because there can't be the difference. Any difference would be the same. Any opposite would be the same. So there is no chance to distinguish anything. It's just a state, static sense of knowing that doesn't operate in space and time. And that's what our present state is. So all these seeming failings, interestingly enough, all point to the fact that if we can all suffer similarly together and have disorders that are all labeled in better and better medical terms and suffer from all those things, with all the variety of ways that we approach those things, have the same consequence occur. There's an indication that what we're doing wrong together is exactly the same thing. And to see that is to start to see that you're not alone at all in the thoughts that you have. You're actually part of a much greater conspiracy attempting to turn those thoughts into truth that will never happen. But what will continue to happen are the consequences and the condemnation and the coincidences of this interactive potential that when I think toxic thoughts, I am going to suffer toxic consequences. And I'm going to be intoxicated with those thoughts to the degree that I continue to maintain the idea that somehow they're going to be right one day. And they never are. They never will be. And the sooner I've come to terms with that, the quicker I can say when I start, do I want to go this direction? Do I now want to choose this right now? And the freedom is in the presence. The freedom is not in a past that doesn't exist and is only thought of and is only thought of in ways that serve the ideas that we want to promote in the present that aren't true to give us the better story about why we aren't where we should be and don't have what we have when, in fact, we tell that story from exactly where we are with what we have. And if what we have in this interactive capacity is everything that there is because we're a part of everything, there isn't anything we need. And so what happens when we concede that? We can do whatever we want in ways that are productive and useful and gainful and offering the same sort of generosity that that abundant nature always gave us the whole time we acted in delusional thought that it was attacking us and condemning us. And a consequence that we needed to overcome rather than see we were simply creating it internally and that it was never an outside force acting against us. We just made that big leap to make believe that everything was against us, including the most infinite capacity seemed to have just decided in somehow, some way that we were the subject of its attention and going to single us out for retribution and pain and punishment. And that's a pretty sick thought to not even notice that we would go to the extent of blaming whatever that natural power that's been defined through human history is God has been the most popular name that has been sullied like the word love has been sullied in the idea that we love our compulsions and we love what we're doing wrong too much while in fact they're acts of suicide and killing our body rather than seeing that the life's the the life attached to the thoughts we think are real and true have no lives there is no abundance in that there's just a limited concept circling around itself, constantly trying to feed off like a cannibal. Eat it. Even cannibals haven't been known to eat themselves. But obsessive thought does exactly that. So to make a leap to blame the universe as being faulty and thinking the world is imperfect is to consider that we're overlooking what we're doing that's imperfect and faulty. 
And that's a pretty big leap to make to think that we have such clarity about everything everywhere else, while in fact we live in daily doubt and uncertainty and have problems that seem insurmountable and seem as though we've been singled out for scarcity and for dysfunction and for defect, rather than begin to see that those are simply reflections of what we're thinking. So coincidence is not a coincidence. It's a coincidence. It's an admission that everything that's happening is happening right now. And consequence, if we don't think everything that's happening is happening right now is happening and that it's rare that anything seems to happen that would be unlikely because it occurs in ways that all of a sudden give us some relief. And what a coincidence. I ran into this guy that I was thinking about. No, that's not a coincidence. We're all intimately aware of everything that's going on. Much more than we think we are. To the, to the degree that what we think is so narrow and so tight when you start seeing this, you will laugh at it rather than cry over the time you spent trying to make believe it would happen. But the crying is not unusual because when the body begins to release itself from the thoughts that are being released, we release the body to begin to express the things that we've been keeping to ourselves, thinking we could hide them, but in fact they showed up in forms of depression and anxiety and all of the other ailments that are caused from stress. So there's nothing secret at all. It's all been in plain view, and just like the words we use, if you look at what you say and start asking yourself if what you're saying actually adds up, and look at it accurately, you'll begin to see that what you're feeling is actually a reflection of what you're thinking, not what's happening around you with someone else or something else or some circumstance that you blame as your current preoccupation and obsession, but something you're actually doing in thought. And as you begin to see that, the disbanding of this tendency will happen immediately because all it's ever been is a delusion that you've been doing anything that's valuable anyhow. And a delusion's easy all you need to do is turn on the light. And the light of looking accurately is what we're talking about. Coincidence is happening all the time. And it is not a coincidence if it's happening all the time. It's a coincidence. It's an interactive capacity that our relative experience in this universe is how humans function. And consequence only feels condemned because consequence is an immediate mirror image of what we're thinking. It's the first thing that happens for us before all the other thoughts about everything else start. It's what we're doing that impacts us first. And if we feel condemned, it is a consequence of a thought that's contemptful. And why is it contemptful? Because it's condemned. Why is it condemned? Because we think it has a life it has no life for. That's what ego is. Ego's thinking who we are is what we think. That means it's born in thought. It means it's no more or less than what we think. It means that if we don't think, there is no ego. So not thinking about it basically puts to rest the issue of ego. These things are immediate. They're surrounding us in our interactive capacity with our environment, and they are generated by us to begin with. Consider that. Live with that a little bit. Listen to the conversations as you're interested and willing and able, and see if you don't find yourself in some ways beyond your understanding, starting to come to terms with things that feel natural to you and put you at ease well before you start understanding what it is that's happening. You don't need to understand it to know it. Knowing isn't a function of understanding. Knowing is a function of knowing. 